You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. If you've got your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, the book of Genesis. Um, That is the very first book in the Bible. So if you're using um, a traditional Bible like this, you're just going to basically open the cover and you're going to be right there. Um, Or if you've got a smart device, um, you can uh, punch up uh, Genesis on your app. And um, we're going to land in Genesis chapter 2 here in just a moment. Uh, Today, we're in part 2 of a series called The One, where we're taking a look at a lot of what the Bible says about the topic of marriage. And in our culture, we place a lot of pressure on ourselves to find our one, and we place a lot of pressure on other people to perhaps be our one. But in this series, we're taking a bit of a different approach. Rather than focus on the external of, of finding our one, instead we're looking internally with the intent of discovering how we can become the one for our one. And whether we're single or dating or newlyweds or we've been married for years, the principles of God's word apply to us all. And last week in part one of our series, we talked about the difference between covenant and contract and how contracts are based on convenience and contingencies, but covenants are based on commitment and choice. That marriage is a covenant relationship that was designed by God and that our ability to be in covenant relationship with our spouse is directly connected to our desire to be in covenant relationship with our Savior. And so today I want to take things a step further and build off of last week's message Um, and talk for the next few minutes about the connection between purity and unity. Purity and unity. So um, the definition for pure is going to be right here on the screen. Pure means uh, free from anything of a different, inferior, or contaminating kind. Free from extraneous matter. When something is, is made impure it becomes weakened or it becomes compromised. And and this is what happens to our marriage relationships when we allow outside influences to come in that God never intended to be there in the first place. And often this kind of rears its ugly head and and shows itself in our marriage um, and in our relationships through things like financial indiscretion, or an improper attitude toward our spouse. Maybe that displays itself in harmful language that's directed toward our spouse or harmful language that we use about our spouse toward other people. It could play out in um, uh, viewing pornographic materials online or lingering a little bit too long in the company of a coworker, perhaps allowing our eyes to move in a direction that they shouldn't, or entertaining impure thoughts, 
engaging in a secret sin and things of that matter. And, and, and the, the biggest thing is that often when, when this kind of stuff takes place in our relationships, we spend a whole lot of time trying to convince ourselves and rationalize and, 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 and play it off as if it's really not that big of a deal. But in Ephesians chapter 5, which we're kind of using as the, the, the framework, the backdrop of this, this message series, Paul writes this in, in verses 1 through 3. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. And then we skip over to verse 25, and, and he focuses, uh, Paul focuses his efforts then and what this looks like specifically for husbands and wives. And he says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And when I read this passage and, and we look at that, that, that Christ, as Christ loved the church and that he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, we see that holiness and cleanliness or, or holiness and purity is, is something that God intended to be at the very center, to be identifying factors or identifying characteristics of our marriage relationship. And to see kind of how this plays out, really, we need to look no further than the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. And so we're going we're gonna to start there, Genesis chapter 2. You've turned there or swiped there already. Um, and we're going to read through part of chapter 2 and then uh, part of chapter 3 together. Genesis 2, we'll start in verse 15. Um, it says this. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden except... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's important for us to understand and to realize that, that God gave instructions to man before God created woman. So God gives these specific instructions to the husband before his wife is ever even a part of the scenario. And so this, this lets us in to, on the fact that it was Adam's responsibility as the head of his home to communicate God's word to his wife 
both verbally and by example. Okay? And so it continues in Genesis chapter 2. We skip down a few verses to verse 24 and 25. It says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So we see right there the institution of this very first uh, marriage. The two reunited into one. Adam and Eve had come together as one flesh, and they were both naked, but they felt no shame. So they were, uh, they, they were uh, united, and they were pure. So right there in the, in the very middle of, of this marriage, this, this initial marriage relationship, we have unity and we have purity at the center of it. But then things start to get a little sideways. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 that we read this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses 1 through 13 to you. And then we're going to come back here in a minute. We're going to break down parts of it so that we can apply it to what God's wanting to communicate to us today. So uh, this is a passage that perhaps many of you will know well. Um, And it goes like this. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So there's there's a lot going on in these first 13 verses of of Genesis chapter 3. And and first off, we see that, that the woman, she knew God's word, but she mishandled it. She, there, were, there was a breakdown of communication somewhere between God to the man, her husband, and then when it got to her because she knew that there was a command that had gone forth, but she wasn't 100% clear on exactly what it was. And she became driven by her fleshly desires and the promises of the serpent, of the serpent rather than being driven by the promises of God and her desire to be in right relationship with him. And so she sinned. 
And the man in this story, um, he acted in weakness, and rather than leading his wife the way that God intended, he welcomed compromise into his life, and he sinned along with her. And so as a result, they now have shame at their nakedness. They look down and, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And so purity has been squashed in this relationship. They are no longer pure. And Adam and Eve, um, because of their actions, it, it caused separation between them and God. It created disunity in their marriage, and it ultimately got them booted out of their home. This, this um, domino effect I'm going to talk about in just a second of, of how these events transpired. But before we move on, there, there's an important note that, that I would like to, to bring up. And um, it's something that I learned from Pastor Tony Evans that he pointed out to me that I'd never, um, I heard him teaching about it, and I'd never really seen it in the scriptures before. But there, when um, in, in Genesis 3, uh, when Adam and Eve were hiding from God after they had sinned, and God, as he normally did, he, in the cool of the evening, he would come and he, he would walk in the garden to fellowship and, and commune with his creation. Um, when God came looking for them and, he, and, and they were hiding, he didn't ask, where are y'all? He asked, because that's how God would speak, you know, in the southeastern United States. That's what, God was southern. Um, but he didn't say, where are y'all? No, he specifically spoke to the man and said, where are you? Where are you? See, both, both husbands and wives share part of the responsibility here. It, it takes two to tango. You have to have a husband and a wife to have a marriage, as we have defined. But, but it starts with the husband, not because I said so but because God said so. So there, there's, there's a responsibility there for us men. And, 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 and this, this is challenging for me because I'm a man and I'm a husband. And, and there are some things like this that I would have rather God just left out of the Bible. I would have rather him made it a lot easier for me and a lot harder for other people. But that's not the case. And so I stand before you as a man, as a husband, and as your pastor... That, that men, there, there's some things that, that we need to recognize and that we got to start to get right in our own lives. Um, you know, people say that culture is, is what we create or what we allow. And, and I see um, as a man and as a husband, I, I can speak to this. Um, there's really two problems that I see with husbands. And, and it's, it's the two problems that I find myself, um, you know, being pulled back and forth between at times. The first problem is that some of us are allowing a culture in our homes that doesn't honor God. Or others of us, we're not creating a culture of honor and purity in our own lives, and so therefore we're unable to expect it in our homes. Two ends of the spectrum. And the, the first one of those issues is driven by apathy, and the second one is driven by pride, and both of them are ripping our families apart. See, in, in, in the first scenario, we see ourselves as incapable, that we can't lead our home in a certain way. And in the second, we see ourselves as invincible. 
and, and that we're, we're above leading our home in a certain way, that the rules don't apply to us. And neither scenario shows that we are relying upon God or that we are choosing to lead with the authority that comes through him and by him alone. Let's not get it twisted. Ladies, you are not off the hook in all of this. But in accordance with the word of God and what's been spoken, both what we see in Genesis, what we see in Ephesians, the way that God designed it, despite the fact that, that women, you are not off the hook. What the world needs more than anything is some godly men to once and for all rise up and say, enough is enough, and to embrace the calling that God has placed on their lives and step up and lead their homes the way that God designed from the very beginning. That's what would make the biggest difference in our churches and in our community and in our world if men, we would embrace what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be. And that we would move forward by leading our families and by example, others in the ways of the Lord. So it starts with us. It starts with us. But then there's this domino effect that, that is taking place here because of the decisions of, of both, both the man and the woman. They allowed compromise to come in, which led to impurity and impropriety. And their impurity and impropriety led to shame, and shame led to guilt, and guilt led to hiding, and hiding led to separation from God, and separation from God led them to blaming external sources rather than looking internally at the decisions that they had made, and blaming the external sources turned into fragmentation of their marriage. And the end result is that they lost their home and they were cut off from direct access to God because they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then their primary roles as husband and wife became difficult and painful. Adam had to work hard to bring forth food from the ground by the sweat of his brow. And it became very difficult for Eve in childbearing. It became painful and, 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 and a long, arduous process. And so all of this, because of one simple compromise, because they didn't heed the word of the Lord, it led to a broken home, a broken marriage, and a broken relationship with God. And that's where a lot of us stand today. Because we've compromised and said, no thanks to purity and unity in our marriages We've chosen what we wanted, and we've chosen our direction and our path and, and, and what felt good and was pleasing to us, and it's left us in this position. And so if you're taking notes and, and you want to write something down, um, it, the, the, the kind of the, the main idea that I'm working off of today that I believe the scriptures communicate to, to us is, is simply this, a lack of purity creates a lack of unity. A lack of purity creates a lack of unity with, 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 in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. A, a lack of purity creates a lack of unity. And so, so the question is then, then how, can, how can we maintain a pure marriage? How can we maintain pure relationships so that our unity with God and with others can remain intact. 
And, and so there's really kind of four things that I see here that, that I think we need to, to put into play. Four things that I see that, that we need to put into play. And um, some of this is based off of um, a guy by the name of Pastor Jimmy Evans. And um, he's, he's an incredible uh, uh, teacher on marriage and some of the stuff that I've learned from him um, in listening to his messages and reading his, some of his teachings. Uh, the first thing we've got to do, if, if we're going to maintain purity and unity in our, in our marriage relationships, or, or for that matter, and this applies not just to our marriages, but really to any relationship that we have with other people, if we're going to maintain purity and unity, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to own our actions. You've got to own your actions. Own your actions. In, in Genesis 3, 11 through 14, we read God asking them, who, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that, that's why I ate it. See, we, we, we see man and woman, Adam and Eve, we see them making these terrible decisions for their lives and and. and, and participating in this behavior that goes directly against the word of God. And, and when, when God calls them out on it, what do they do it? They point the finger at someone else. You have Adam throwing his wife under the bus to God. And so God says, well, what do you have to say for yourself? And then she says, well, it was the, it was the serpent God that you created. And so do you see, like, it's this circle of blame. Adam's blaming Eve, Eve, Eve is blaming the serpent, and ultimately they're both blaming God because Adam's saying, you gave me this woman, and that's the reason. And Eve's saying, well, you created this serpent which deceived me, and that's the reason. No, the reason is because both of them chose not to heed the word of the Lord in their life. We cannot hold others responsible for the choices that we knowingly and willingly make. The Bible addresses some of these choices that, that, that we have a tendency to make from time to time that, that lead to this fragmentation of our relationships, particularly our marriages. And one of those is, is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he, he tells him this. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness. Love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call the Lord with pure, call on the Lord with pure hearts. This, this run, or, or maybe, maybe your translation says flee youthful lust. What it means is to completely reject. Like don't even like entertain an inkling of it. You are vehemently opposed to this kind of thing taking place in your life. And, and youthful lusts are, um, are, are things that, that would be defined like, like our, our thirst for money, our quest for power, our desire for honor or recognition. It would be entertaining improper thoughts or the use of harsh language. It would be uh, within the boundary of a marriage relationship. It would be uh, a desire for someone that is not your spouse. 
And we see this playing out particularly through, um, through two things that, that are crippling, uh, not just marriages as a whole, but they're crippling marriages within the church, and that's pornography and extramarital affairs. When it comes to pornography, there are more than 40 million Americans that are regular visitors to porn sites. The pornography industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It's also more than the combined annual revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. 87% of Christian women have viewed or watched pornography. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say that they watch or engage with porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation problem. Pornography and then extramarital affairs. More than a third, 35% of married men have had an extramarital sexual affair. And nearly one in five, it's 17% of married women have had an extramarital affair. And the sad part about those statistics, not only are they way higher than they should be, but the rate within the church is the same as the rate outside of the church. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. He writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Not only does this kind of sin affect the body, but this kind of sin affects the body. Run away from it. Somebody needs to hear that one more time this morning. Run away from it. Whatever it takes you get as far away from that as you possibly can because it's destroying you, it's destroying your relationships, and it is destroying the church. And it has no place among us. Y'all, I realize that this is not one of those, like, you know, everybody's going to say amen kind of messages. But we've got to come to grips with the reality of the things that we are dealing with. The things that we are struggling with so that we can get healing and be set free and and rise above this stuff. 
so that we can experience the kind of relationships and marriages that God intended from the beginning. We've got to get real about the things that we're struggling with. Luke chapter 6, verse 42. How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The key here to all of this is that we've got to own our own actions. We, we've, got to, we've got to own up to, to the things that, that we've got going on. We, we've, we've, got to, we've got to be honest about what, what we're dealing with because the truth is, is that in, in a relationship, like in, in my relationship with, with Sarah, I can't fix we if I first don't fix me. So it starts with, with us as individuals getting ourselves right and owning the things that we're struggling with and, and what we're dealing with so that then we can be the person to them that God's called us to be. So a question, don't answer it out loud. Something to think about. How is your behavior contributing to the purity and the unity of your relationship? How is your behavior contributing to the purity and the unity of your relationship? First, we've got to own our actions. Number two, don't return sin with sin. Don't return sin with sin. In Genesis 3, verse 6, as we read before, it says, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. Eve sinned, which was bad enough. But then Adam sinned as well. And it made matters even worse. It's like that, that um, you know, those of you that, that have kids, um, especially if you have multiple kids, Maybe you've had a discussion like this. Why did you hit your brother? He hit me first. That's what we were born, like that, that's, the, that's the sin nature that we were born into. And, and that, that even as, as a little kid, like that just makes sense. Like what you did to me, I'm going to do to you so that we can be even Stephen. But then you know the age old principle, two wrongs don't make a right. And, and because Eve had sinned, Adam didn't make it any better. Like he didn't, like making himself equal with her didn't help the situation. In fact, it, it made it worse in, 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 in this regard. It's only going, if, if we respond to sin with sin, it's only going to make the situation worse and widen the gap of disunity in our relationships. So they had an affair. That doesn't give you a free pass. 
So they said terrible things about you. That doesn't give you the right to say terrible things about them. Like, you get the idea. Just because you're the, the person you're in the relationship with did something terrible that, that hurt your feelings or that was sinful towards you, that doesn't mean that you have the, the right of way to behave in, such a, you know, in, in the same way back toward them. That, that's not going to bring healing and wholeness to the situation. It's going to drive the wedge even further. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Jesus says, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. See, retaliation and revenge are not the answer to unity and purity within our relationships. Retaliation and revenge are not the answer. Righteousness is. Righteousness, holiness is the answer. It doesn't matter what that person has done to you. It doesn't matter what they've said about you. It's how can I respond, not react. How can I respond and maintain my righteousness, my holiness, my purity, my integrity? That's how we respond to these situations. Not sin with sin. We respond to sin with righteousness because that's the antidote. So number one, we've got to own our actions. Number two, we don't return sin with sin. Number three, we have to admit our faults. We have to admit our faults. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. See, when we bring our sin into the light, it loses its power over us. As long as that sin remains hidden, then it has the ability to control us and to continue to separate us from God. But once we bring it out into the open, then we allow God to deal with it. Adam could have remained hidden, but he stepped out into the light and he said, I heard you, I was afraid because I was naked. And then what did God do? Sacrificed an animal. He made skins for them so that they could cover up their nakedness. If we'll hand it over to God, he will provide the solution. But as long as we remain hidden, that sin can never be dealt with in the dark. We've got to get it out into the light. You need to stop hiding in your sin today. You need to come clean. You need to get some help. You, you, need to, you need to go to a trusted Christian brother or sister. You need, to, you need to go to your spouse and you need to let them know, hey, this is, this is what I've been dealing with. This is what I've been carrying. This is what I've been struggling with. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. I need to bring this out in the open so that I can get it out into the light so it no longer has the power over me and then begin to, to walk through the process to find healing and wholeness and freedom. In James 5.16, the brother of Jesus writes this. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful 
results. We need each other. This is the power of life groups. You need to be in biblical community with other people. You and your spouse, you need to surround yourselves with other married couples that can help you to shoulder the burden and to carry the load. That you can link arms with, that that when something is going on, that, that you've got relationships in place. So you can say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You won't understand the just the liberation that will take place. If that thing that you've been hiding, that you're right now, you are scared to death, is going to get out and come to the surface. If you'll get out ahead of it, and bring it out to the surface. What can happen? If you're hiding it and it gets out, it has the power to destroy you. But if you get out ahead of it and you say, hey, this is what I've been dealing with, get the help that you need make all the difference in the world it'll free you from what's been holding you back if you'll just come clean scripture gives us the the process confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed all it takes is you saying hey need to talk or you have a minute for us to talk I need, to, I need to tell you something. And then start that process. Honesty and humility will go the longest way in a relationship toward purity and unity. Honesty and humility will go the longest way in a relationship toward purity and unity. We gotta own our actions. We don't return sin with sin. We admit our faults. And then finally, number four, if we want to maintain purity and unity in our relationships, we got to forgive. We have to forgive. In Ephesians 5, as we've read before, Paul wrote, he said, For husbands, this means love your, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He gave up his life so that we could be forgiven. The thing about unforgiveness is that it it poisons the well of our hearts. And when unforgiveness is allowed to stay, it, it ensures that our relationships are going to remain fractured and broken. So what about you? Have you been harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards your spouse in regard to maybe their past mistakes or to unmet expectations in your relationship with them. Because see, here's the deal. If, if we want our marriages and our relationships to be sweet, we've got to get rid of the bitterness. We've got to get rid of the things that are causing them to be bitter. And the first step to that is to simply forgive Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, here's here's the truth of the matter when it comes to 
the kind of relationships that we've been talking about and, and Jesus setting this example for who he was going to be on behalf of the church and how that mirrors and parallels who we are to be in our relationships with each other, particularly our marriages. The truth is, is that if Jesus wasn't holy and clean, he couldn't make his church holy and clean. Husbands, if, if we're not holy and clean, then we're not going to be able to present our wives as the holy, clean, and spotless bride that God intends them to be. Wives, if, if you're not surrendered to God and to his word and pursuing holiness and righteousness, then the efforts of your husband, try as he might, they're going to be in vain. But here's what I know. If you show me a husband and wife that are both in pursuit of holiness and righteousness, I'll show you a marriage that's thriving. If you show me a husband and wife that are both in pursuit of holiness and righteousness, I will show you a marriage that is thriving. Because it's a lack of purity that creates a lack of unity. But where there's purity, there's also unity between God and between each other. See, Adam failed by not obeying the word of God and he blamed his wife in the process. Eve failed by not listening to the word of God that was communicated to her through her husband and she blamed the serpent. Adam was unable to present Eve to God as spotless and blameless because she had sinned. Adam had sinned as well and as a result was unable to fulfill his responsibility as a husband to set the example and fulfill his God-given duty. And this required a sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus which came in to restore the relationship between God and his people. That sets the example for what the relationship between husbands and wives ought to look like. And so to all my single folks out there, unmarried, young people, maybe you're just dating. Are you actively rejecting the sinful desires of the world and keeping yourselves pure and blameless before God? Because let me let you in on a little secret. The impurity that exists right now doesn't magically disappear once you get into a marriage relationship. If anything else, it only gets magnified. So is the life that you're living now presenting you as pure and blameless before God? Husbands, are, are, are you keeping yourselves clean so that you can keep your wife clean and spotless? Because here, here's the deal. If, if you're dirty, it's only going to make her dirty. So is the way that you're conducting your life a catalyst for purity and unity in, in your relationship? And, and wives, are you benefiting your husband and his efforts and his responsibility to honor you and keep you spotless and wrinkle-free? Or are you burdening him with that task? Like, are you showing up today in your relationship the same way that you did on your wedding day in that spotless white gown without wrinkle? every hair in place, 
every I dotted, every T crossed, no detail overlooked. Is that how you're presenting yourselves? Is your lifestyle contributing to the purity and unity of your marriage or is it detracting from it? Some sobering thoughts for us to think about today. But the hope that we have in Jesus comes to the forefront because it is through him and through him alone that we are able to be made pure and that we are able to be united both to him and to our spouse. And he, he made that evident through what we're going to participate in today, this act of communion. He made that able for us through his work on the cross. And so if you would, we're getting ready to pray Go ahead and grab your communion cup that's in a seat there near you. If you're watching with us online, please feel free to grab whatever you have on hand. You can participate in this with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word that speaks to us at the very point of our need, Lord, that, that it guides and it corrects. God, we thank you for its truth that penetrates to the very depth of our soul and that points out how we are to live and how we can live to be people that bring you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to own our actions, Lord, to, to get, get truthful about the things that, that we're dealing with and, and, and not to just add sin on top of sin in hopes that that's going to make the situation better, but that we would come clean with the things that we're dealing with, the things that we're struggling with. God, that when those things do come about, Lord, give us the, the power to forgive to forgive others so that we can be forgiven. Lord, that we would live our lives and that we would operate in a spirit of forgiveness in the way that you have forgiven us. And Lord, we thank you for your body that was nailed to the cross, that was broken, that was battered, that was bruised so that we could be healed and made whole. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was spilled so that we could be forgiven and set free, that we could be cleansed and purified from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we celebrate that today. Lord, I pray for each and every relationship, Father, Lord, that, that they would embrace you, Lord, front and center. And that as they do, Lord, that, that the purity and the, the holiness and the unity that you have to offer through your body and your blood, Lord, that, that it would be made known in their relationships today. We give you the glory, the honor, the power, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 
To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.